America is underway here on ESPN Plus. Hercules Gomez and Sebastian Salazar here with you. Thrilled to be with you on this Monday. Herc, I missed you last Thursday. D did you miss me? I did miss you. Uh, where were you, by the way? I, have, I don't even know where you were. Just a second, you had to show up. Let me host the show. I didn't know what I was doing. But whatever, man. It's all right. I actually, I actually thought you did uh, quite well. Shout out to Alex Pareja wow. as well, who helped us uh, get through. I was, of course, in Kansas City watching the U.S. Women's National Team play. We'll be talking about them a little bit later. You know, Carly Lloyd's last game uh, is coming up tomorrow night in Minnesota. Other stuff coming up on the show today. Latest out of Major League Soccer. We have a new Supporter Shield winner. Congratulations to the New England Revolution. And Liga Mekis Herc, a huge game Saturday night. Club America against Tigres, a couple Wipe teams that, that you and I know face. That, that you and I know very, very well. Uh, and of course, we have the latest Mexican national team roster uh, for a game that we're not quite sure uh, what it's worth or what it means. And for all you folks who have friends, maybe they don't have ESPN Plus, but you want to get them into the show, podcast is the best way to do it. ESPN FC, wherever you download your podcast, that of course is free. But Herc, we got to start the show today. In Europe, a huge Sunday in Europe, a Derby Sunday in Europe. Some of the biggest rivalries on the content and the continent, and it featured players uh, from this continent playing a very big role. None bigger than El Clasico, which was, of course, all over ESPN screens uh, this weekend. Barcelona hosting Real Madrid. Real Madrid winning two to one at the camp. Now, David Alaba with a golazo in the 32nd minute. The uh, stoppage time goal there from Lucas Vasquez in the 94th minute. Cunagüero gets one back in the seventh minute of stoppage time on the assist from none other than Serginho Dest, who played 90 minutes, started the game at right wing, played the second half at right back, but yep. Hercules Gomez, all anybody is talking about is his big, big miss from close range just before Alaba scores that goal for Real Madrid. So let's take all of it and give him an overall grade for Dest's performance in El Clasico. This is a difficult one because that overall miss does factor in in a way that maybe is unfair for Serginho Dest, but it comes with the territory when you're playing in that position. It comes with the territory when you're playing for a team like Barcelona. I went C+. You talk about Serginho Dest and all he does going forward, how good he can be. Well, if he's in a position like this, anybody in that position, when Memphis squares this away and Ansu Fati touches it, which I think affects Serginho Dest because it bounces a little on him, you still have to put this away. It's still a shot you can get off cleanly. His error here is letting the ball come across his body and going at it with the right foot instead of one-timing it with the left foot. Uh, that was a huge error, an error that pretty much cost, in my opinion, Barcelona the game. And I'll tell you why. Barcelona was handled superiorly by, by Real Madrid, but you score that goal, that goal gives your team confidence. It's a turning point in the game. So much so that Ronald Koeman after the game he uh, himself said it was a turning point in the game. Sergio Roberto, I, I, all anybody is talking about is the Serginho Dest miss. Serginho Dest himself, I'm sure, will want that one back. Uh, that miss alone isn't why he had the C. I, I gave it a C plus. So he was good off the ball. He was good on the ball. His defending was better in the second half. Listen, uh, this is a player who by no means is a right winger playing there because his team needs him to play there. So it's not on him that he's in a position unfamiliar to himself and misses a chance like that. It is on him that he misses a chance that out of the two goals we've already seen, especially with the U.S. Uh, men's national team from him, were much more of a difficult angle, much more of a difficult goal than the actual shot he missed here. So I thought all in all he had a positive performance that shot uh, or that miss took him down a notch. So if we're giving out grades and you're grading a test, every single question has some value, right? So I think there's a lot of positives to take from this Serginho yeah. Dest performance. If we're doing like pass-fail, definite pass, right? I, I think he played well in this game. He's not failed and, and played himself out of a starting job. I don't think there's, there's any conversation there. Let's look at what he did well. He starts Herc and he plays the full 90 minutes. In El Clasico, let's not lose sight of what that means for a, a U.S. men's national team eligible player. It is historic. Uh, he does so in two different positions and is impactful in the attack from both, right? Right. Uh, he didn't finish. There was no finished product in the first half playing right wing, but there is an end product with the assist to Cunagüero in the second half. Not only does he get that assist hurt, but he makes that goal, right? That, that's, that's a Serginho Dest play where he creates it. Full credit to Cunagüero getting into a good spot, but it's Dest's goal. And at right back, I think it has to be said, 
he held up better defensively against than Vinicius Jr. Than I, than I thought he would. Yeah. When I, when I saw him go back to right back at halftime, I thought, uh-oh, this, this could be ugly. Um, it wasn't. But the weight of the goal, it is really, truly, it is the biggest question that he's asked in this game. And he fails it, and he fails it big, right? Like, it's not that he got the shot on goal. He didn't even get it on goal. He didn't even ask a question of Thibaut Courtois. And to your point, it's a huge miss, not only in this game, like all of the analysis post-game. We had Dan Thomas, Ale Moreno there. They all said, Hurt, that this changed yeah. the game for Barcelona. And I think you can even argue it may change their season. If they win this game, wow. Hurt, they're three points Three points out of first place with a game in hand. By losing this game, they're in ninth. They're not in, even in the Europa Conference League spots right now, Herc. So this is a, a huge shift. And for that, I'm going to give them a C-. Set, because settle down I, I, for a I bit, I won't okay? give them a C-plus there. I'll give them a C- just down, because of the weight of the moment. Let me, I am glad you mentioned him at right back. Let me tell you really quick why it's a C-plus. Because Mingisa at right back was a disaster move by uh, Ronald Koeman. You can't put him against Vinicius Jr. and think they can go like for like with pace. That whole right-hand side, Menciga, Menciga, Mingisa, excuse me, and Serginho Dest versus Mendy and versus Vinicius Jr. was a disaster. It's just too much pace, too much ability on the ball. And that's where the game was one for me. Uh, but in the second half, he reverts to right back, and I thought he steadied the ship. It's still a very difficult task because Vinicius Jr. there and overlapping Mendy, but I thought he was much better and even better going forward from the right back position. But settle down, okay? Let's not go here at change of the season. There's still the same Barcelona, okay, that doesn't have any depth. Same Barcelona that's now lost four Clásicos in a row. Ronald Koeman, the same coach that's now lost three Clásicos in a row. Uh, so we can't just pin this season or, or this Pivotal moment on Serginho Dest. They were still outmatched in every facet of this game. Real quick, because it does always come back to the national team. We saw him in both positions in this game. Right back and right wing. Of the evidence that you collected, thinking about his role with the United States, do you see him as a winger or as a right back? A right back. I see him as still, a back. Yeah, he's still better going forward. When the ball, when he has the ball and everything is in front of him, he's much better. Now, if you have a lot of possession and you can play up the field as a winger type outside wing back, yes, perfect. But in a pinch, and I'm talking about tournament time, Gold Cup, World Cup, and you're down depth, that's when he can slot in as a winger. But uh, you, if, as a coach, you got to do the best you can of getting the quality on the field that you need in the positions to succeed. And if he's a winger, who's out? Is it a Christian Pulisic? Is it, is it at the expense of a Brendan Aronson? Is it at the expense of a, a Timothy Weah? I just don't see any logical situation where he's a winger ahead of any of those guys. So this loss definitely piles even more pressure on Ronald Koeman, the manager of Barcelona. And Herc, after the game, we saw some ugly, scary scenes for Ronald Koeman as he's trying to leave the stadium following Barcelona's 2-1 defeat in El Clasico. Does this pressure on Koeman in any way affect Serginho Dest? And we know that Koeman has been one of, if not Dest's biggest supporters, biggest champions at Barcelona. Of course it does, Seb. Now, this is terrible. This is a bunch of idiots right here reacting in a very negative way who have no idea of their history. Ronald Koeman's the reason they won their first European championship. He's, he may be having a bad season right now or, or as of late, but he's not the reason for Barcelona's woes. That, that have been going on. So throw it out the window. But when it comes to Serginho Dest, he's definitely a Serginho Dest guy. Serginho Dest is characterized as one of Kuman's guys. Now, I will remind you, same coach, Ronald Kuman, who tried recruiting him for the Dutch national team, away from the U.S. men's national team. Same guy who tried to bring him on board. Same guy who shipped off Nelson Samedo to Wolverhampton. Same guy who shipped off Emerson and left Serginho Dest with this job. Also the same guy who decided to deploy him as a right winger. So any of this that you want to say is going to fall down to Serginho Dest, and this happens all the time. These are coaches who make bad decisions, who all of a sudden leave, and there are direct players directly impacted by these absences. So, yes, this is going to affect Serginho Dest for sure in Barcelona. Does it affect him, right? Uh, the question is how. If he's fired, yes. Do you believe that he'll be fired? Uh, three weeks ago, Laporta comes out and gives him public backing, right, for whatever that's worth. Beyond that, though, Herc, we know Barcelona has no money. No money. If, there was, if there was anybody that Barcelona wanted to take this job, that was willing to take this job, they would be in the job. Ronald Koeman is there 
very much so right now by default. That, that's the reality. And I think he's going to stay there by default. So I don't think Sergio Dust is affected there. I'm interested by one thing you said there, though, that he's known as a Kuman guy. As pressure mounts on Ronald Kuman, do you think either the Barcelona media or maybe the Barcelona dressing room could turn on the Kuman guys, one of which is Des. Absolutely. We see it all the time. And you mentioned by default, that clause, uh, that clause uh, for him leaving, if he gets fired, they have to pay him. Uh, if all of a sudden uh, he leaves, they have to pay him. They've got no money. He's not going anywhere. All right. So let's go from El Clasico to another great rivalry. De Topper, Herc, out of the Eredivisie, of course. Ajax against PSV, one of the many games you could watch this weekend on ESPN+. Plus. Now, before this game, Ajax were only one point ahead of PSV, Herc, in the table. After the game, they were four points ahead of PSV in the table. Ajax winning 5-0, a late push, four goals in the last 30 minutes for Ajax. Edson Alvarez starts the game. He plays 88 minutes, that after going a full 90 against Dortmund in the Champions League earlier in the week. Herc, no doubt about it, Edson is a huge part of an Ajax team that is dominating both domestically and in European competition. I mean, how can you deny this? I was a not a fan of Edson Alvarez. Hater in the house. No, no, not a hater. By the way, look, Eric Gutierrez sighting. There he is. Uh, Edson Alvarez was probably one of the biggest uh, losers, and we're talking sporting-wise, for the 2018 World Cup for the Mexican national team. He was a goat in many ways, or a scapegoat in many ways. Uh, very young guy playing, yeah, you can say outside of, or out, out of his normal position as a right back in a few games, but a guy that had a tendency for getting stuck with the ball on his feet and creating big airs. Uh, he was criticized by club legends, and he took it upon himself to be better. He, he did extra training sessions tactically, technically, uh, with the staff at, at Ajax. He's been nothing short of unbelievable this season. And I'm not just saying that. I'm, I'm eating my own words because five, six months ago, I didn't have faith in him. I have so much faith in the guy right now that I called him the best six in CONCACAF at the moment. He's going to be a future L3 captain. This is a player that's more refined in his touch now, tactically more intelligent, and has a work rate unlike many others uh, in this zone. And his efficiency with the ball, he just protects the ball. He hunts so well, he recovers. He's really turning into an all-around player. Yeah, speaking of his future, Herc, right? He's going into year three at Ajax. He's 24 years old. He's six foot two, by the way. So I think physically, he's, he's probably an attractive yeah. option to, to any team in any league. You wouldn't worry about that. So here's his trajectory with Ajax. He's gone from outside the starting lineup to into the starting lineup to an immovable piece uh, in that starting yeah. lineup, right? He's, he's always there. By the way, that's you, their words, not ours. You, you know where I'm going next with this, right? He's still young. How far are we from the conversation of, is Edson Alvarez ready for a move to a bigger club or a bigger league? Listen, they purchased him for $16 million. When IX purchases you for $16 million, you know that there's something in store for you. He's still very, very young. He was eligible for this last Olympic team. Uh, I would say he's in that market right now. He's a very good player in that market. They Listen, they neglected, a, they neglected an offer for men's for $21.2 million. So there are mm -hmm. offers for him in this pandemic-era transfer, I guess, World, I don't know how much more or how much they're willing to part with him, but this is a guy that if you look up his name, there's rumor, there's rumors of a re-sign with Ajax. They want him that bad. They think he's a, an immovable object, like you just said, with Ajax. He's a very good player. Is he ready for a bigger role? Yeah, I absolutely do, yeah. do feel so. With, with all due respect to Ren, with all due respect to Ren, if he's leaving Ajax, he better be going um, somewhere bigger. Have he some did respect have, for Sama Hayek, please. He did, he did have Erling Haaland in his pocket in the Champions League. So <laughs> Does he play center I, back I think so, I, I think some teams around Europe may have seen that. One real quick note on Eric Gutierrez. He did play um, the last 10 minutes of this game. Made the move from Pachuca to PSV in 2018. Had a couple decent seasons. The last two seasons have been disastrous. But good to at least see him, Herc, uh, getting back onto the field for PSV. All right, let's go next to France. From the topper to Le Classique. PSG against Olympique Marseille, Herc. This game ended 0-0. Uh, PSG finished with 10 men. Ashraf Hakimi sent off in the 57th minute. Keylor Navas, by the way, playing the full oh. 90 for, for PSG. Kept a clean sheet. From the U.S. men's national team perspective, there he is, Conrad De La Fuente. That was it. Came on in the 71st minute for Marseille. Got about 20 minutes of action and had that 
big miss. A big miss, but some big minutes, Herc, for a player who's very much on the bubble for the next U.S. World Cup qualifying roster. Very much. You see Kaylor now with a space right there when that whiffed by. It was a, a sigh of relief. That's how great of a chance it was. Look, he's a very good prospect. The end product needs to be there. He's a guy that 1v1, he gets you isolated. It can just do, hurt you in so many different ways. He can be a very productive player, especially at the CONCACAF level. Now look at his team ranks, okay? Second in assist, expected assist, chances created, take-ons. A lot of this is off the bench. This is a good prospect. This is a guy that you need to bring into the fold and you need to see what he can do at this level. Well, we're talking to the U.S. men's national team level. Now, at this level in Europe, at Ligun, he needs to take advantage of these opportunities. That's the biggest knock on him right now, the productivity, the end product, because everything else in between the boxes, at least on the offensive side, I should say, he's good. Uh, defensive side, probably a little lackadaisical, a little watches off the ball. But when he has the ball at his feet, he's got that Timothy Weah factor about him. You just you sense something special can happen. U.S. men's national team could, could use him getting hot right now. I mean, think about the injuries at that position potentially. Uh, we know Gio Reyna doubt, Christian Pulisic a doubt for the next World Cup qualifying game. So Conrad De La Fuente wants to heat up. I don't think Greg Berhalter would mind, even though there are a ton of options at that position. So let's go from France to Italy. Derby. D'Italia, Inter Milan against Juventus. Herc, this one played uh, in Milan, finished 1-1. Eden Dzeko in the 17th minute for Inter. Juventus, they got their goal very, very late in the 89th minute, courtesy Paolo Dybala on a penalty, that after a VAR intervention. The result leaves Inter third, seven points off the lead. Juve in sixth, ten points off the lead. Weston McKinney started. He did play 83 minutes. And I think you can make the case, Herc, these are big minutes for Weston McKinney, too. Maybe not about making the next U.S. World Cup qualifying roster, but making the starting 11 for those next qualifiers. And I thought they were a good 80-plus minutes. Really? I thought, yeah, I thought he was. Oh, I thought I would, he was. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For what Weston McKinney is, I thought we got the Weston McKinney treatment. I mm. mean, very good off the ball hunting. Uh, very good trying to connect with Dybala. When he did connect with Dybala, I thought there was a bit of creativity there. They understood each other. The interceptions. I mean, this is what you want him for. You want him to be contagious, to, to, to be contagious to the rest of the group. His work rate, his ability in between the boxes. The only thing that was missing here was the Weston McKinney trying to get in the end of pieces. Or, or set pieces or, and the end of things into the box arriving late but I thought he was actually good in his, his involvement excuse me in this game you point out the ball winning I will give you that Weston McKinney is an elite ball winner even when very good players have the ball comfortably at their feet Weston McKinney can strip you there's something about him defensively one-on-one -on -one that I think is very very good that said Herc in this game I don't know which game you're watching I don't think he got on the ball a whole lot he had 41 yeah, touches. Typical Weston McKinney 41 fashion. 41 touches in this game. Let me compare that. Edson Alvarez, in his game, 91 touches. 41 touches to 91 touches. The reality about Weston McKinney in this game is that his biggest contribution to the Juventus attack is the long throwing. That's how he's most helping the attack are before you, he comes are off. Are you telling me you're going to compare Edson Alvarez in a game where they won, what was the score? I'm going to compare 91 touches to 41 touches. Yeah, in a one -one all day, tie every day. To a, what was it? 5-0? Five, five You're yeah. really going to compare those two situations? Yeah. Okay. You that, think 41 touches is enough for a central midfielder? Not even, they don't even play the same position, Seb. When you Edson think 41 Alvarez touches the is enough for a central midfielder? Foot. When Weston McKinney gets the ball, he's directly in between traffic, and they're two mm. very different players. In no way do I want Weston McKinney touching the ball 91 times if I want my team to be proactive in the offensive oh, third. Oh, you don't think Weston McKinney's good on the ball? Is that what I said? You said you don't want him touching it 91 That's times. That's not his position. his role. I want him hunting for the ball. I want him getting to the gaps and into the box finishing things off. I want him winning the ball. I don't want him dictating the creative play. I don't know how much longer you're going to get that because the player that replaces him late in this game, Arthur, is the guy that Juventus at one point valued at 72 million euros. At one point was willing to part ways with Miralem Pjanic to bring this guy in. That's a player that Juventus has bet big on, and he's finally, Herc, healthy now. I wonder if we're not heading to a similar discussion with Weston McKinney as we've been having with Zach Steffen. If Weston McKinney cannot keep this starting 11 job with Juventus, we may find ourselves at a point where you're asking, is Weston McKinney on the bench better than an option of a guy who's playing elsewhere? Depends where the other guy's playing. I mean, because I'd rather take the guy who's 
sharpening the iron at the you highest said levels. It, you, you say that. You said it didn't matter for a goalie. It doesn't matter for a midfielder either? Well, I think they're different positions, so yes. Thank I think you it does for it that matter. analysis. It yes, midfield and goalie are different positions. Yes. Wait, what are you saying, Seb? It's not the same thing sitting between the pipes and waiting for something to happen as running out there and making something happen. So does Weston McKinney need to be starting then for Juventus? Does he need to be starting for Juventus? What, to, yep. play, for, to play in CONCACAF? What, are you yep. crazy? No. <laughs> it was a rhetorical question. Wow. My man does not value playing time. Amazing. All right, let's go to another game in Italy, Herc. Not a derby necessarily, but a significant match, Roma and Napoli. Interesting to us for a couple reasons. It finished 0-0, which means Napoli drops points for the first time in this Serie A season. They are still tied for first with AC Milan. From a Mexican national team standpoint, Chucky Lozano did not start. It was that man, Matteo Politano, again getting yep. the start. So it's another big game, Herc, where Chucky Lozano finds himself not in the 11. Listen, you called this. You called this a few weeks ago after he had that brush or I guess that, the, he was in a foul mood after he dust was up. taken out. Yeah, dust up. And I, I'm on the Chucky Lozano side here. He shouldn't have been taken out. Uh, but you said Matteo Politano was going to be a problem, and he's been a problem so far. There are a lot of people here who would argue that he's won his position at Napoli. I am not one of them. I think over the years, often not, he's been coming off the bench, and this is not a good thing for him. Yeah. He started the Europa League game midweek, played 57 minutes. I thought, oh, they're bringing him off, giving him a half-hour break so they can play the big game on the weekend. No, not the case. The Europa League games for Chucky Lozano are not the games he wants to be playing. That's not why he went to a club like Napoli. Of note in this match, Jose Mourinho was sent off. But before he was sent off, he sent young American right-back Brian Reynolds, not to the bench, Herc, but a la tribuna to the stands after Brian Reynolds was one of the players that started and actually played the full 90 minutes in Roma's humiliating Europa Conference defeat to Bodo Glimt of Norway during the week. Is Mourinho bad for Brian Reynolds' development? Yes, of course he is. Because at that young of an age, by the way, a development, it's only, what, 20, 20 games in with uh, FC Dallas before he makes the jump? That was his professional top flight development. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there isn't much of a development there to begin with. If you want to compare FC Dallas and what they do in developing players, that's fine. But top flight Serie A under a manager like Jose Mourinho, who's got a proven track record of not trusting young players, how is this a good thing? Uh, he's the first one to throw a player under the bus. A young player, veteran player, whoever, whomever, he will throw you under the bus. And this is a direct result. As a player, when you have a bad outing or when your team doesn't do well and you get shellacked that way, in the very next game, you look at the call sheet and you're not on there, you're not even rostered, they're sending you to the stands, that's a huge sign that there's a lack of trust. So a couple reports earlier today, Fabrizio Romano of, of CBS Sports said he was 100% sure Reynolds will eventually leave Roma. That guy doesn't miss very often. Nico Shida, another reporter, says Reynolds is one of five players that Mourinho wants to move out of the club. So already, Herc, just, what, six months after Brian Reynolds joined Roma from FC Dallas, it seems like the writing is already on the wall for the, uh, for the young American. Let's run it back. We'll go back to France to run it back. Lille playing against Brest on Saturday. Game finished 1-1. The Lille goal comes in the 19th minute from none other than Canada's Jonathan David. Herc, a really well-taken goal. Man, this guy's on fire. Look at the touch here. Look how he sets it up. Nice little turn. Whoop. Cut him out. Left-footed finish. He's just gotten so much better. Seven goals in 11 games this season. He had 13 and 37 last season. This man is primed for big things. Probably worth noting, Tim Weah played the full 90 minutes in this game for uh, Lille as well. Speaking about competition there at the wide positions for the United States. On Jonathan David, Herc. The question is, is he the best number nine in CONCACAF? Now, is this the best number nine in CONCACAF of the moment? Yes. I don't okay. even think it's debatable. I, the only one who could rival him is, honestly, Raul Jimenez pre-injury. What about your only... boy Ricardo Pepe? He's hot. Oh, is, this the, is this the best nine in CONCACAF or the hottest nine in CONCACAF? He's a little bit of both. Okay. He's a little bit of both. We well, look pick at the, one. 
Well, best. I, I'll say best. He, I'll is he say the best? He, he's the best and he's the hottest because if we look at his World Cup qualifying game, six goals, five assists in mm-hmm. 10 games. If we look at what he's doing, he's doing it at a higher level than Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe is 18 years old. The growth, the ceiling is going to be the potential off the charts. But Jonathan Davis is the truth. Jonathan Davis is today. He's scoring mm-hmm. goals in many different ways. He's so smooth in the ball. He's so explosive without it. And he's a natural finisher. This man right now, it's... Leo today, tomorrow, I mean, he's going to have some very big clubs knocking on that door. The best nine in CONCACAF plays up north in Canada. So you've got him seven for 11. That's in the league. If we go all comps, Jonathan David right now, seven goals in 15 games. Ricardo Pepe, 13 goals in 28 MLS appearances. So I'll give you Jonathan David the best. But in terms of heat checks. You are ridiculous. The heat check, the heat check isn't all that, isn't all that differently. Hey, hey, one, one note here. He was born in, in New York. Born Could you imagine? He, he, would you put him over Pepe? He'd be your number one in, in your top five USMNT number nine rankings right now? I just now. put him number one in CONCACAF. You don't think I'll put him number You're one? benching Hercules Gomez, benching Ricardo Pepe That's right exactly here what I'm football. doing for Jonathan David. Yes, yeah, sign it. Does. Put that quote up. Put the side up, Seb. In case you missed it, to La Segunda in Spain, Nacho Ambriz. Iconic Mexican player, captain the Mexican team at the 1994 World Cup, dismissed as the manager of Huesca. 12 games, Herc, that's all he got. Four wins, three draws, five defeats. Huesca, 12th in the table. This is kind of sad, you know, the, the successful Mexican manager who tries his luck abroad and it very quickly did not work out. It's kind of sad. It's also very surprising. It's very early on in the process. Honestly, 12 games in and, he, and he's out. I think there must have been some strong discussions held behind closed doors. And Ignacio Ambriz, Nacho Ambriz isn't the, the type of guy to keep his mouth closed and, and not say what he wants to say. And who knows what happened here. But this is a missed opportunity for Mexican soccer because how often do we say that Mexican soccer coaches don't take that leap of faith, don't get outside their comfort zone or level? And he actually did. So this is troubling news for, for Mexican soccer. I'm very interested to see what Nacho Ambriz's next job is, right? Does he take another shot at Europe? Does Europe offer him another opportunity or does he go back to Mexico? Because you're right, we could always use more Mexican managers in Europe. They're very rare and one that's tried his luck. I would like to see, I would like to see, try again. Maybe one of the jobs he could get is Real Betis or Valencia. Then he would be coaching Yunus Musa or Diego Lainez. Why do I mention that? Ah, there it is. Real Betis, Valencia. Wednesday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. A game you can watch exclusively in English and Spanish here on ESPN+. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, to the Mexican national team who dropped this very thin roster. Perk for their friendly against Ecuador Wednesday in Charlotte. It is, of course, not a FIFA date. So there are no European players, no MLS players, which, of course, denies us the opportunity to see La Chofis Lopez on the national team. No Club América or Rayados players, Herc. They got the CONCACAF Champions League final on Thursday. We got 18 guys, all Liga MX. Is there any benefit to this game other than the financial? No, you just said it, the financial. Mm. It's Fuego Molero. This is the way they conduct their business. I even think this is... A negative for Tata Martino. I think he sees this as a burden upon him. Uh, and also, if I'm a Liga MX club, like Chivas, for example, and Chivas, who has Uriel Antuna, El Nene Beltran, Jesus Angulo, who are going to be at this game, I'm thinking to myself, why are they playing midweek on a Thursday in Charlotte and they have to travel all the way across the country and internationally down to Mexico to play and help me try to beat Tigres, one of the better teams in Liga MX, in a must-win game in a situation where... Do you know who's still involved in the playoff scenario in Liga Mackey's? Everybody. So if I'm Chivas, I'm saying, what are we doing here? Why, why is this happening? Why can't we figure out a way to still make money and it not affect me? You know why? Because they've already sold 35,000 tickets to this game mm. in Charlotte, which is honestly very surprising to me because you go through this roster and you, you talk about, like, star power. Is Uriel Antuna the, the biggest no. name on this roster? 
I mean, so, so this then to me becomes the ultimate test of brand versus players, which we know has been a tense conversation in Mexico, right? We know a lot of the big name players didn't feel like they were getting their fair share of the cut from some of these international friendlies, especially in the United States. But if you can put any Mexican national team out and you're still going to sell 35,000, 40,000 tickets, we're going to keep getting these games, Herc, until fans decide to say, you know what? There is no superstar. There is no Raul Jimenez. Yeah. There is no Chicharito. There is no Chucky Lozano. They don't know there is no etc. They're gonna, you're going to keep getting these games. Seth, Come on, everybody can see this. I, I, everybody been, knows I've that been, there's nobody coming. I've been to these Juego Moleros covering them. You know what happens? The fans go to the hotel where these teams are staying, where Mexico's staying, and they start yelling as the players get on the team bus, Chucky Lozano, Raul Jimenez, Tecatito Corona, Memo Ochoa. And they're going to get Edu Aguirre. They're going to get Uriel Antuna. No. They're going to get Rodolfo Cota. They don't know, Seb. I'm telling you, they sell you on the nostalgia of Mexico and the Mexican national team, that brand power you spoke about. You're, a, you're underselling the Mexican fan here. Please, no, the Mexican I'm fan not. in the United States no. knows, no. knows, can look up a roster and see who's on this team and see that these games Can't are Can't wait until the videos are, are posted of people waiting for the players to get on the bus and there's Chucky Lozano <laughs> songs being chanted. What did our uh, producer want to call this roster? El Triste. El Triste. El triste. That's a very there good you one. Go. All right, we'll leave it at that. Let's move on to the U.S. women's national team who had a bit of a uh, triste effort in their last game. Herc, I missed the show. Last Thursday, of course, I was in Kansas City at Children's Mercy Park with Julie Foudy on the call for this game, United States against South Korea. The U.S. had 68% possession in this game. They had 19 shots, eight of those shots on goal, and yet it finished 0-0, snapping a 22-game home winning streak for the United States. It reminded me a lot watching this game of the Olympics and some of the frustrations we saw there. It was overall a disappointing okay. night in what was Carly Lloyd's penultimate match. Okay, Carly Lloyd's penultimate match in Kansas City. The atmosphere looked amazing. Seb, you were there. What happened? Well, first of all, it was, it was one of those games where the goalie for the opposition just has a blinder. Uh, this young lady named Young Go Yoon had a crazy game for South Korea. The night of her life. She made eight saves, and four of them were I would go saves I did not expect her to make. So it very easily could have been two, three, four, nothing. And we don't look at this result uh, in any other way. But one thing I did take away from this game, Herc, is how much this team needs fresh blood, specifically up top. The first half, the U.S. really struggled for my money to create quality scoring chances. Your two wingers in that first half, Megan Rapinoe and Tobin Heath. Vladko Andonovsky at the half makes two changes in those positions. Mallory Pugh and Sophia Smith come on. Two of the players you've seen a lot of here on Football Americas. Two young players. And the second half, I'm telling you, the dynamism of the team off the charts. It was a very, very different U.S. women's national team in the second half. There was no end product, which at the end of the day matters a lot. And you tend to get, the, get that from the more veteran players. But what I would tell you is if Vladko Andonovsky is looking for evidence, Herc, that he want, needs to or wants to refresh this team. I think he got plenty of it uh, in this game. The Olympics were enough? Team against South Korea. I, I, think that, I think they were enough. But remember, the four games after the Olympics, you got to bring all the Olympic players in. Yeah. That's part of the contract. It's a, tour. It's a victory, yeah. a celebration tour. Now Vladko Andonovsky really has free reign. He can start to do what he wants with his roster and watch some of these young players come in and really start to compete for minutes. Some of the minutes that will be available to them, Herc, will be the minutes left behind by Carly Lloyd. She's going to play her last game with the U.S. Women's National Team in Minnesota tomorrow night. Going to be very, very special. Again, it's against the same South Korean team. Herc, I'm already thinking about Thursday's show. I'm thinking up a top five biggest game performances in U.S. Women's National Team history. You know Carly Lloyd's going to be on that list. At least three of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she's, I don't want to compare it to Kobe, but she's like the Kobe of the women's sport, honestly. That clutch gene uh, certainly what Carly Lloyd is known for. And I have a feeling in her last match ever, she's got to give us something special. Speaking of something special, Hark, holy mackerel. What did we see from the Mexican women's national team in their friendly against Argentina on Saturday? How about this? A 6-1 to one victory at Azteca. Stephanie Mayor, Alison Gonzalez each get a brace for Mexico. Maria Sanchez and uh, Joseline Montoya score as well. A very, very impressive result here, Herc. 
Uh, Impressive. Let me start off with I love what they're doing to spread the women's game in Mexico. This was played in El Tepa Gomez Estadio in uh, Tepa sorry, sorry, Jalisco, yep. which is which is unbelievable because that's Los Altos. My my dad was born there, but it's a great way to spread the game around. It was well received, uh, and yeah. <laughs> To go down first in this game and then come roaring back, scored six unanswered, is insane. Especially against Argentina. I know there was a little referee controversy from the Argentines of uh, who was in charge and whatnot, but it was outstanding result for the women. Argentina's actually ranked behind Mexico in the latest FIFA ranking. Argentina 35, Mexico 28. But if you remember, Mexico didn't make the last World Cup. Argentina did, and Argentina was very, very competitive in that World Cup. They got two draws, one against Japan, one against Scotland. And remember England, who took USA to the wire in the knockout rounds? They only lost to England 1-0. So Argentina's a very, very good team. To beat them 6-1, I think, is a really impressive result for Mexico. And on the heels, Herc, of another good result they had a couple weeks ago, a win against Colombia, it's got me thinking about the next World Cup. Do you think Mexico will qualify for the next World Cup? Should the expectation be that Mexico will grab one of the four automatic spots out of CONCACAF for the 2023 World Cup in Australia? It should be, because they've got this CONCACAF championship on the women's side, right? And and I've been doing my history. I've been been doing my homework and going back. And since 2018, uh, since 1998, they placed no lower than third place. They never won it, but it's second or third constantly. Uh, So this is a team that has some history there. And Monica Vergara, the head coach, doesn't seem to think that the elite in world football are that far ahead of what are the Mexican women's team. Uh, And this is also a program that off the heels of the Liga Mexis Femenil and the new academy project in a joint venture with FIFA, we're going to start seeing those fruits come come around. Uh, And this is a team that all of a sudden has some youth and some belief. And quite frankly, in CONCACAF, when you get to see the U.S. women up close, you can see Canada up close, the world champion, the Olympic champion by osmosis, I think this team's going to get better. Right? That should raise your level. You're, you're, you're in the pool with two of the fastest swimmers. So that ought to bring Mexico's level up. So should the recent investment. The World Cup's going from 24 to 32 teams in 2023. So you got four spots out of CONCACAF. Mexico, just by hierarchy, has to be a top three country. You, you assume U.S. and Mexico, USA and Canada are going to take two of those yeah. four spots. But really, Jamaica got that third spot last time. Mexico should be miles ahead of Jamaica. Trinidad has threatened to to be a a contender in the past. Panama. Mexico should be miles ahead of these teams. Okay, there's really nobody with the resources that should be close to Mexico. The expectation absolutely has to be that Mexico will qualify for this World Cup. I think they're on the right path, not just the results. You mentioned the manager. Monica Vergara, this is somebody who has played for Mexico in the Olympics, so she's done it at that world-class elite level. She's also got the managerial track record. She's managed Mexico U17, U20, all of the youth national team age groups. She's got that experience and her, she's got the comfort of working with these players. I think she's a really good choice for this job, and I'd be shocked if Mexico doesn't go to the next World Cup. I'd be shocked if Mexico doesn't go to the next Men's World Cup either. However, if they lose to the United States, in Cincinnati on November 12th. You know that the rhetoric will be, is Mexico going to miss out? Maybe it won't be. Maybe on this show it will be. And of course, Hercules, you know that Football America will be in Cincinnati in the build-up to November 12th. We will be all over this huge game in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. To Major League Soccer, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let's start with the good, Herc. New England Revolution are your 2021 Supporter Shield winners. They tied 2-2 with Orlando Sunday, but they actually clinched Saturday when Seattle lost to Sporting Kansas City. They've won the Shield with two games to spare. For their efforts, they get a CONCACAF Champions League spot next year and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Herc, this is one of if not the best regular seasons in MLS history. Very impressive from Bruce Arena and company. 
course it's impressive. Look, there's still games to go. LAFC, current record, two games to go. They're two points away from that mark. Bob Bradley at LAFC in 2019, a historic mark for them. This is Bruce Arenas to lose. The numbers are so impressive with this team. They've lost four games all season, Herc. Four out of 32. They've scored 64 goals, 10 more than the second highest scoring team in all of Major League Soccer. Happens to be sporting Kansas City. And you mentioned the points record. They need three points from their last two games to break the all-time regular season points record. They got Colorado. They got Miami. Both those games at home. I'd be pretty surprised if the Revs don't break that record. The record, by the way, that you mentioned from Bob Bradley and company, set back in 2019. Why is the year 2019 important? Well, it's also the year, Herc, where Bruce Arena gave this very interesting quote to Sam Stajkel in The Athletic in an interview. Bruce Arena said, quote, This whole Supporter Shield concept with an unbalanced schedule, to me, is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. Herc, do you agree? When that man's right, he's right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Bruce Arena is a quote machine and he's not wrong here. If you don't play the same number of games against the same number of teams, how can you define who really is the best team in Major League Soccer? How can you define or give out a trophy in the Supporters Shield? I'll give you a little stat here. The Sounders, they actually played a few teams that were very good this year. So good they had 13 wins or more. And their record versus those teams was 6-3-2 against 13 wins or more teams in Major League Soccer. Do you want me to give you the record for the New England New England? The New England Rebs against teams that were 13 and or 13 wins. And yeah, how many how many games did they play against teams with 13 Excuse wins, me. first of all? Uh there you go. Really? Yeah. Zero, zero, and zero. Oh, oh, and oh. That's, so what they, that's what it was. So the Reds are beneficiaries say, of the you Eastern could say Conference the being Eastern weak. Eastern Conference was stronger, more competitive. So that means it's stronger. You can say it's mediocre compared to the West. But there was more difficult competition for the Seattle Sounders this year and the West Sporting Kansas City, because who knows how that'll end, mm -hmm. than there was for New England. Still, Thank you. props to New England. Did theirs, Bruce Arena. Uh, and the rest of the guys right there, multiple uh, Golden Boot candidates, multiple MVP candidates. Congrats. But Thank you to, unbalanced schedule. Thank you to you, Hercules. Thank you to Bruce Arena. We can finally lay to rest. The Supporter Shield is not a major trophy, as I have long held to. Long held to. Preaching to the choir, my man. In the brief history of this show. Let's go from Doesn't the good mean anything also. to the bad. And oh, uh, production team had the knives out in this one. What's this? DC United, my beloved DC United, losing 6 nothing. Her to New York City FC. If you watch this game, uh, it was not a spread out 6 nothing. It was a quick 6 nothing. The loss was the worst league defeat in DC United history. And it drops them for the first time in three months, Herc, out of the playoff picture. They are currently ninth in the East. I'm not going to say Bill Hamid had a good game here. He had a big mistake early on. But he made like nine saves. This this was six nothing. It could have been. I don't even want to think what it could have been. Shout out to Bill Hamid, uh, one of the better goalkeepers this decade in Major League Soccer. But this is the San Jose Earthquakes of the East in all aspects. That's who mm. DC United is. Way to waste a generational talent and Bill Hamid, my DC United. And yes, with this historic loss, drops them below the line. Now they're playing for their playoff. Hopes on Wednesday against the Red Bulls. Because if they lose that game, I mean, it's pretty much over with the way the East is so tight. When you look at the below teams, everybody below New England is so tight. So you got New York, Atlanta, Montreal, D.C. United separated by two points. Vine for what? Two spots? Yeah, it's tough. Very interesting what you said about the San Jose Earthquakes of the East. Hernan Lozada, the manager for DC United, loves Bielsa. That's his guy. Who else Matias loves Almeida loves Bielsa. That's his guy. And what's a knock on Bielsa teams? They tend to fade towards the end of the season. We've seen it in the they past with Matias Almeida. And I think I'm worried we might be seeing it with DC United and under Hernan Lozada. And here's why. He has asked an awful lot of this team. If you watch them play, these guys work, Herc. They're a fun team to watch. They're a little bit chaotic. But these guys are asked to work. And at the end of the year, I feel like they might 
they might be running out of steam. The three games left, New York Red Bulls, Columbus, Toronto FC. I, I think, yeah, they, they need to beat New York. They probably need two wins, maybe two wins and a draw in that New York game Because you have to assume Columbus and Toronto – both teams that have no playoff aspirations should be givens for D.C. United with playoff aspirations. So, yeah, that's that game right there, Red Bulls. I think this loss here, the 6 nothing, may well uh, kind of spell the end of D.C. United's playoff hopes, even if mathematically wow. they're you still in it. should be used to it, Seb. Let's get to the ugly. Hercules Gomez, the ugly. This wild incident in the Sporting Kansas City-Seattle match was, was a showdown of the top two teams in the Western Conference. Christian Roldan is going to get body slammed here by Kansas City goalie Tim Melia in the 55th minute. This happened with a game tied at 1-1. Herc, before we get to everything else around this, your opinion. Was this a red card? Because Melia only got a yellow. Yeah, it's a red card. <laughs> you can argue that Christian Roldan uh, interfered, obstruction, it's a foul, sure. But this movement right here, that's aggressive. This is a red card. I don't know how you can say it's not. One does not negate the other. This is a red card. I, here's how you can say that it's not. Uh, PRO, PRO, the Professional Referee Organization, here's their post-match explanation. Quote, the observable conduct by Tim Melia did not rise to violent conduct. That's not violent. Due to the lack of brutality. Um, okay, sure enough. Of course, this play went viral, right? So viral, Just, so viral. You're missing the people's elbow, that's it. Dwayne Johnson, the rock himself, jumped in on it. Now, uh, he called it a devastating Rock bottom. <laughs> now, that boy. was pretty cool, but Major League Soccer, from the league's official account, then uh, jumped on the social media bandwagon, tweeting, fair to say he laid the smack down, and of course, tagging or adding The Rock. Herc, are you cool with MLS's social media move? Dwayne Johnson knows that was a red card. These refs don't know that's a red card. It's insane. Now, mm. Major League Soccer tries to play with this, tries to, on their social media handle, be cute, as if this is funny to the fans who are impacted by this, the fans who are searching for that supporter shield, the players who are searching for that supporter shield, as is, this is funny or should be funny to them. I don't know who's in charge of that social media account, but if I were Seattle Sounders, Brian Schmetzer, or anybody in the Seattle organization, I'd be on a call to New York immediately. What was it? Today's Monday? This morning, mm -hmm. that phone call should have been made. This is, this is just silly. I, I don't know what you're trying to get out of this if you're Major League Soccer's media account. The tweet is still up, by the way. Last I checked before the show. It was a couple hours before the show, but it was still up. This certainly helps Melia's defense case, right? If the league tries to come back and suspend him, the response is obviously, how are you going to suspend me for something that you promoted on social media? And that's really the question here, Herc. What exactly is Major League Soccer promoting with this tweet? Because that's what we're doing on social media, right? You, me, MLS. You're promoting, we're promoting. Dwayne, you're promoting Dwayne Johnson. You're, you're so desperate for attention that anything you can latch onto, like The Rock, if you see it, I'm going to latch onto it. Yeah, hey, this is funny. It should have been a red. Thanks for tagging us. Thanks for looking at us. Thanks for believing in us. Thanks for even acknowledging us. That's what they're saying. Yeah, uh, The Rock has 15.4 million Twitter followers. MLS has 3.3 million Twitter followers. MLS is not promoting The Rock. If MLS is promoting anything here, it looks like they're promoting either violence against players, violent conduct, or terrible officiating, which are both bad looks for the league. So, wow. um, and you're right, you're not wrong about the thirst for attention. That's a very real thing with, with MLS in the social media space. I, I don't actually blame the person sending the tweet. You see a chance to tag Rock. But it's a bad look for the league, and I don't think it's going to go over well with Seattle or probably with the Players Association if anybody tries to come for Tim Melia with a late suspension. One more thing out of the MLS weekend. A get-lost moment. Speaking of, uh, of great derbies, great rivalries. Toronto FC against Montreal. The Canadian Classic, which was 1-0 until the 95th minute. Josie Altidore with a free kick. Ugh. Ooh. Yeah, that wall was not set right. Uh, really quickly, Josie Alter, can you name the team he scored the most goals on in his Major League Soccer career? It's Let's Montreal. Let's listen first to Jonathan Osorio. 13. He owns them. Uh, I think they, they're really well coached. They have, uh, they have a team that, that works together. Um, you know, we play them at very different times in the years, and, and both games are different. So I expect this game to be a lot different and different players on the field. So we'll see. 
opened that door for me. That's a team that plays together. Is that something that explains the season that you guys had? No, it's okay because at the end of the day, Toronto FC, um, you know, we've had one bad season, uh, but we still have an MLS Cup and Montreal does not. Thank you. A little spicy from Jonathan Osorio there. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. We had a bad season, but we have a cup, and Montreal does not. Herc, you played in this rivalry. What makes Toronto FC, CF Montreal special? And beyond that, where does it rank in kind of the upper echelon of MLS rivalries? Ooh, good question. They're top three rivalry, for sure. And what, what makes it so special, what makes it different? They actually hate each other. The cities hate each other. These players hate each other. There is history. Some of the best games, one of the best games I've ever seen in Major League Soccer uh, postseason was a Montreal, or series, I should say, was Montreal versus Toronto, unreal series. And there's actual disdain when it comes to the players, when it comes to the ownership groups, when it comes to everybody involved. Is it I, the cities? Is it actually the cities more than the players and the ownership groups and everything else? I feel like Toronto and Montreal, no matter the sport, Grey Cup, NHL, well, whatever you want, well, it's a rivalry. They're, they're Canadian, so they're very polite. You know, so they, they, but but it, it it is that rivalry to other sports. Yes, it's the cities, like a Portland, Seattle. It's the cities. Uh, yes, that matters as well. But let me tell you, from being in that rivalry firsthand, I remember the first time I played in Montreal with Toronto. Um, Postseason was actually a game, a playing game, and we got eliminated 3-0. I remember mm. what happened. Sebastian Jovinko walking up and the fans, how they taunted. The fans, how they actually tried grabbing. I remember being on the field. I remember the ambiance. Didier Drogba playing against us. I remember how electric that little crowd was, how just awesome that field was. This is a rivalry unlike many others. Uh, intimate setting, uh, but there is disdain by both I guess cultures, I would say. And a lot of great moments. That fan flipping Josie Altador off after a goal. Josie Altador, any goal, you know, doing a celebration, making it known who's the man in that uh, derby. Yeah, this is a special one. By the way, that goal from Josie Altador doesn't mean anything to Toronto FC, right? Their season long over. It's very damaging to Montreal. It drops them to eighth in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. So it could be two drop points there that keep Montreal out of the postseason. And you know Josie Altador, TFC, would love to be the people responsible mm. for that. All right, let's go from Major League Soccer to Liga MX. Time oh, to hand out some praise or some shade. I've been waiting for this one, boys, since Saturday night. A huge game at Azteca. Club America, Tigres, two of the title favorites. And America win this game 1-0 on a 53rd-minute goal from Henry Martin. By the way, a... Beautiful, beautiful assist from a one-time Football America's guest, Miguel Layun. America are in first place, Herc. <laughs> I mean, that never changes. Eight points clear, eight points clear of second place. I dare you, Hercules Gomez, I dare you to tell me that after America beat your beloved Tigres, that they have not convinced you. Let me praise Santiago Solari really quickly, okay? Uh, plus 20 games for any manager, best efficiency rate uh, when it comes to getting points of any manager in Liga MX history, okay? The, the, not a doubt. 71% over that 20-game 20 20 game span. It's unheard of in Liga MX. That said, these clubs play ugly. Like, how no. ugly does America play? 39% possession. They were outshot. 13 shots against. America had one shot on target, ended up being the goal. Like, this was such a one-sided affair that America got the upper hand on. And give them credit. Give them credit for winning the game. But if you're trying to tell me they convinced you, mm -hmm. and you think this won't be unlike many of the other seasons where America has gone in as a super leader into the post-temporada, I'm not buying it. Let me give you something really quick. Nine times, nine times, El Super Leader out of 49 times has won the league. So them being the overall best team in the regular season means nothing. That means zero, that means nada, cero when it comes to this type of postseason. They won, they're looking good, they're sitting pretty in a very, very ugly Liga Mackey season. Of course, we cannot give any credit to Club America. I just gave credit to Santiago Solari. On Football Americas. No, no, no. They haven't convinced. They haven't convinced. They beat your Tigres, Herc, with a half effort. With one eye clearly focused on the CONCACAF Champions League Thursday against the actual best team from Monterrey, Rayados. Yeah, let's see who didn't play. No Roger Martinez. 
Noema Aguilera, no Richard Sanchez. Look at the Noema subs Aguilera Solari makes. Noema Aguilera is a plus for America. I don't know what you've been watching lately. Look, look at the subs that Solari makes. 20 to 30 minutes left in the game. He takes off Cordoba. He takes off Martin. He takes off Fidalgo. Clearly thinking about Thursday. Resting Fidalgo those guys up. You're, you're trying to tell me he's taking off players yes. with an eye. And not because they weren't doing anything in that game. Seb. I don't know why it's so difficult. I don't know why everybody says this America plays terrible. This America doesn't With convince. one eye on Thursday. And you're the only one, which happens to be an America fan, who says, wait, wait a second. Clearly the best team. Clearly routing everybody. Clearly ahead of everybody. I am telling you, I pray Solari, they didn't convince me. I don't think this is a team we will see lifting the cup when all things are said and done. One thing. Very right. quickly, since clearly you can never throw any praise at Club America, are you willing to at least throw some shade at Tigres? What happened to Tigres? Where was their response? Memo Cho was great in this game. He was, he was great the best before, player in the game. That should tell you a lot, Henry Martin's goal. That should what tell happened, you a lot. What happened after the goal? Where were Tigres' chances after the goal? Nothing. Nothing. A corner kick. A free kick. A shot from 40 yards, nothing on goal. Memo Ochoa did nothing Memo in the Ochoa second half. Memo Ochoa was the best player in the game, and in that the tells you half, everything you need to Tigres? know. Where was Tigres? You don't think Tigres have problems? I think Tigres have some huge problems. Yeah, the, the segment episode, the segment title isn't Praise or Shade Tigres. Oh, so you, you're, in, you're incapable of throwing shade at Tigres. <laughs> they should have won. Yes, that, that is shade. You should have beat this team. There's the shade. You were not good enough to beat this team that you outshot, that only had one shot on goal. You are terrible mm. at this game mm. for letting this team with one shot on goal beat you. Mm. No, no shade for Nahuel Guzman, who every cross looked nervous. <laughs> you said one shot on goal for America, had one shot to save, and he couldn't make it. Memo made all, made all the saves. Piojo Herrera, where were his subs, Herc? Where were the subs? I mean, when you put in uh, Leo Fernandez. Oh, they were four the, I tell you where they were. They were too late. Four of the five were after the 82nd minute. And the one he made, and the one he made on the hour mark Tigres. didn't have a, a drop of difference. I didn't praise And where's Tigres. your boy, André Pierre Gignac? We got plenty of shade to throw at Tigres, but sitters. you're too scared to do it. He missed two one sitters. Goal. He's got, one he goal. He missed two sitters. Henry Martin scored his second of the season. Hey, second of the season for La Bomba, and ah. America won. I would like for some, some objectivity once in the history of Football Americas. We clearly see Hercules Gomez is incapable of objectively analyzing what Tigres is. I can't is. wait till you're knocked out first round. Oh, I'm going to enjoy it. All right, more praise or shade. This is, all right, so Pumas beat Cholos 3-1 over the weekend, right? This is the third straight win for Pumas, actually since they lost to America, which everybody, including Tigres, seems to do. Pumas are in 14th place, Herc, right now, but they're actually only three points out of sixth, remember, a month ago they were in 17th place ahead of only Cholos, who are having a, just a historically bad run. Are we praising Pumas here or are we throwing shade at the Liga MX playoff structure? No, not just the playoff structure, structure excuse me, the overall play in Liga MX this season. I mean, where do we start? Uh, sixth place and 17th place are separated by five points, Seba. That's less than two wins. I repeat, 17th place through 6th place are separated by 5 points. That means technically 17 out of the 18 teams are still mathematically eligible for postseason with two games to go. This is crazy. Only America, Atlas, Toluca, Tigres, and Cruz Azul are above 500. Over half the teams in this league have a negative goal differential. It's an ugly season. It, you want to look at the amount of goals scored? per week. I mean, it's 18.86 goals scored per week. Uh, week 10 to 15, you had 11 goals scored, 15 goals scored, 14 goals scored, 13 goals scored, 15 goals scored. The Golden Boot this season with two games to go has nine goals. It's an ugly season all around. Look, all you need to know about the Liga MX playoff system is it's easier to get into the playoffs in Mexico than it is in Major League Soccer. That's, mm. that's really, really easy, right? Of the 18 teams in Mexico, Herc, 12 get into the playoffs to this new repechaje. Of the 27 teams in Major League Soccer, only 14 go to the playoffs. I can't believe I just said only 14, Herc. Do you see but that? that? That really is it, right? It, it, is, it is incredibly forgiving, the Liga Mekis system. I mean, yes, but it's also incredibly dull this season for a league that prided itself, prided itself excuse me, on being entertaining. All of a sudden, it's you look at the top five leagues, and nowhere near that picture, you put MLS in there because we have to compare it to MLS. And yes, I understand there are more games in Major League Soccer, more teams, et cetera. 
But Liga MX can't be that far down the chart for a culture, a footballing culture that has always prided itself on the offensive side of the ball. All of a sudden, it's I mean, you want to say it's competitive? Because I will say it's been mediocre at best this season. And I'm, a, I'm somebody that enjoys how offensive these teams are, how good the <coughs> overall play is in the offensive third. That's not been the case this season. Yeah, the truth about all this is, from a like, Liga Mekis standpoint, is it's, it's good for the league in that it keeps almost everybody engaged until the very, very end, right? We're talking about it. Only one team is effectively eliminated of the 18. 17 still have hope. So that's 17 fan bases that are still paying attention to games as your season wears on. I'm, I'm not for it, but that would be the counter I can't wait. I can't wait for Querétaro versus uh, Necaxa final. That's going to be great. Let's you got CONCACAF. We'll go back to Major League Soccer from Liga. MX a Texas Derby, one of the uh, many Texas Derbies now. Austin and Houston. Marco Maric here, a victim of the double post. Cecilio, that's the target cam. Can we target post cam? The ESPN target cam right there. Look at this. Cecilio Dominguez, one post off the other, then off the goalkeeper. I've not seen the double post penalty kick since, was it 2015? Portland versus Kansas City. That penalty shootout, epic shootout. Marco Maric, the, uh, the victim of the double posting, Houston and Austin FC. Elsewhere in MLS, Minnesota and LAFC. Robert oh. Sabiga, look out. Oh, no. Ozzy Alonzo and Moon. Savinga, a little sandwich there. Oh, got it up top, then got tackled down low. Oh, ouch. This game finished in a draw. Some uh, big drop points there for LAFC as they continue to chase a playoff spot in the Western Conference. Perk, how about this out of the USL? We showed you this a, a couple weeks ago, or maybe a couple shows ago. Miami against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. This play should have been an own goal, but it was disallowed by the referee at the time. USL is now saying, hold up, we're going to replay this match from the 67th minute on. It's going to be replayed later this week. Kirk, this is crazy. A fair play? Yes or no? No, it's not fair play. It refresh my memory. Is there VAR? Is there VAR in USL? I don't know, is there? No, there's no VAR in USL. Wait, so if there's an error or, or something that the referee doesn't catch, you're going to replay every single game because you have to treat every single game the same way. This should be, the referee should be suspended and the game should stand as is. You don't go mm. back and retroactively play the game again for minute 67. This is unfair to the rest of the teams in this league. I love this. I love this. I think know. it's totally fair play. Of course. And I think we should do it all the time. In fact, I think we should go back in history retroactively oh and start God. picking games. L let's have a little exercise here. If you could go back in time and replay any one game from the moment after an incorrect call, which would it be? This is too easy. Too easy. 2002, after the U.S. men's national team beats Mexico in the second round, they qualify and they're in the quarterfinal game versus Germany. There is a header flicked on Tony Sané to today's current head coach, Greg Berhalter. Very good volley underneath Oliver Kahn. Torsten Frings is on the post. Handball! The ball was in! The ball should have counted. It should have gone in, and if not there, it should be a penalty. The U.S. men's national team should be in a semifinal in the 2002 mm. World Cup under Bruce Arena. And this call, this Torsten Frings handball, which was not called, cost him that. Yeah, you know it, Bruce. I love that you bring up the 2002 World Cup, Herc, because you know young Seb, as a Mexican national team fan, Wait, no game, no result hurt more than Mexico losing to the United States in that 2002 World Cup. So when I posed this question to myself, I immediately went back to that game in the round of 16, and I remember a John O'Brien handball on a corner kick with the uh. score still 1-0, which had there been VAR, I guarantee you would have been so called a penalty. So that's the one you were calling? That's Mexico that would have scored. Is that your pick? It would have been 1-1 in the most painful defeat Rafa Marquez, ever. The Rafa, Rafa Marquez uh, red card, or do you want to take back the Javier Aguirre substitutions? I want to take back the missed penalty kick, which should have been given to Mexico when John O'Brien leapt through the air and punched the ball like a Is like that a boxer. your pick? It's not my pick. Okay. It's not my pick. I want to just spread it out. We already hit 2002, so let's hit 2014. Round of 16, Mexico World Cup against the Netherlands. No era penal. Ooh. Arjen Robin, 
taken down in air quotes by Rafa Marquez. It, of course, spurred the legendary hashtag, no era penal. This one hurts. Because if Mexico goes on to win this game, which I think is a fairly big if, based on how momentum was going when this right. play occurred. But if they do go on, they would have gotten Costa Rica in the quarterfinals. Now, all due respect to Costa Rica, Keylor Navas, I take my odds in a World Cup quarterfinal against Costa Rica. And if they had beaten Costa Rica, Herc, they would have gotten Argentina in the semifinals of that World Cup, which would have meant a chance to erase not just 2006, but 2010 World Cup nightmare. So I will say, if I could take one game back, one game to re be replayed after a terrible call, for me, 2014, round of 16, yeah. Mexico-Netherlands, no era penal. Very briefly there, Sebi, that game that you're talking about uh, was one of their better games in World Cup history versus uh, the, the Dutch. And also, you're talking about Costa Rica. That Costa Rica who was in the group of death, you thought you would have done well against that Costa Rica, Kaylor Navas Costa Rica? Yeah, okay, good luck. Hey, I'd take my odds in a World Cup quarterfinal against Costa Rica rather than pretty much any other that's team true. that's going to be left in the field at that point. One more question of fair play, Herc. Liga MX. Pachuca and Bravos from Ciudad Juarez. So we got a player down. This is the age-old, the epic question. What do you do when a player's down? Well, Victor Guzman, uh, he's going to score. Fair play? <laughs> yeah, play to the whistle. I've always been told you play to the whistle. Why do you put your hand up and stop playing? Pressure the ball. He shoots, he scores. Going home. Right? If the referee doesn't stop it, you don't stop it. At some point, the players have to stop waiting for the referee to stop the game. Maybe this is uh, one of those lessons learned the hard way. Speaking of lessons learned the hard way, I feel like LAFC has learned a lot of difficult lessons at the hands of the Seattle Sounders over the years. Game you can catch there on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Don't miss it. LAFC against Seattle. Bob Bradley against Brian Schmetzer. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, in case you missed it, Herc, let's go down to Colombia, where America de Cali fans stormed the field. What are they so upset about? The coach. Who is the coach? Our old friend Juan Carlos Osorio. They want him out. Yeah, they're in 14th place, only 15, 19 points, excuse me, in uh, 15 games. Not good for Juan Carlos Osorio. This was a derby. They were playing against Nacional in Cali. Not looking good for him. As of right now, he is still the head coach, but Juan Carlos Osorio, not on a good moment uh, or good standing with the fans right now. So the Fuera Osorio hashtag has just moved south. It went from Mexico to Colombia, and maybe it'll follow him for the rest of his career. All right, that's all the time we've oh, got for this ouch, edition Seb. of Football Americas. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thanks My for mood, watching, Sebi. and we will see you back you here know, you know. on Thursday for another edition of the show. Sebi does not win on the T-shirt game today. No. Sebi always I wins win the T-shirt game. game. I win it. Yeah.